Welcome to Euractiv's Tech Brief podcast. My name is Alina Klasen, your technology reporter. This week we look at the NIST 2 implementation. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website Euractiv.com. This is Euractiv's Tech Brief podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stephen Heckler, Deputy Head of Department for Digitalization and Innovation at BDI, the Federal Association of German Industry. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Alina. Thanks for the invitation. We're here to talk about your position paper on the revised Networks and Information Directive, NIST II, and its implementation as well as the cybersecurity landscape. The NIST II Directive, which will be implemented into German national law by the 17th of October 2024, introduces specific obligations for entities that are considered essential or important for the functioning of society. The directive is also a benchmark for the EU's new cybersecurity law, the Cyber Resilience Act. I would like to dive into that by asking you. Can you briefly describe the interplay between NIST II Directive and the Critical Entities Resilience, also known as the SARE Directive? Yeah, of course. So let's have a look why the European Commission actually found it necessary to regulate. So when they published both the NIS II Directive and the CER Directive in December 2020, they were confronted with multiple global crises, among them the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, the European Commission um, wanted to address these multiple global um, crises by kind of increasing the resilience of companies across Europe, um, both towards the physical dimension of such crises as well as um, to the digital dimension of these crises. So basically what both of these directives do is they intend to enhance the resilience of Europe's industry and also critical infrastructures um, vis-a-vis external threats. And um, they are slightly different in terms of their scope, so which companies fall within the scope of um, um, the directive, and they are very, very different in terms of which threat vectors um, they address. So let's maybe turn first um, to the second aspect, namely the threat vectors. So the NRS2 directive addresses all cybersecurity threats, so digital threats. In contrast, um, the CER directive deals with physical threats such as terrorism or earthquakes. And if we now turn to who is addressed by these directives, um, we find that the NRS2 directive includes vast parts of Europe's industry as a whole, from automotive to the chemical and the machine building industry, in addition to critical infrastructures, whereas the CER directive focuses on critical infrastructures only. So if we take them together, they provide more or less an all-hazards approach uh, covering both digital as well as physical uh, threats and thereby intend to kind of strengthen potentially affected economic operators in their aspirations to be prepared to these threats and ready to act if they are affected. Can you elaborate on the Critics Umbrella Act? 
What is its purpose? If we take um, the Critters Umbrella Act, um, we are really into the topic of um, resilient critical infrastructures. They are really paramount for the functioning of our everyday life, of our community. What do we actually mean or include in the topic of critical infrastructure? So they cover everything from public administration to energy, water and food supply, but also healthcare, information technology, telecommunications, nowadays even waste disposal and transport. And And for the protection of critical infrastructures is really crucial to ensuring our national security and our way of life, basically. What the Kritisdachgesetz, or you might term as Critical Umbrella Act in English, um, will do is it will implement minimum requirements which were set out at the European level within the framework of the Critical Entities Resilience Directive, so the ECR Directive. This means that the Critical Umbrella Act is basically the transposition or implementation law of the CR Directive. It will slightly go further than what the European level envisaged, but this is kind of the, the basic structure. Um, the Kritisdachgesetz obliges all operators of critical infrastructures henceforth to adopt appropriate and also proportionate technical, security-related, but also organizational measures to ensure their resilience against certain threat vectors. And here again, we are um, addressing physical threat vectors. So it's not about cyber, it's all about the physical realm. Um, The measures that a company has to adopt um, are, for instance, intended to prevent the occurrence of incidents caused um, by um, such external physical threat vectors. They are intended to ensure, for instance, adequate physical protection of the premises of a critical um, facility, but also they shall make the company fit to respond to, but also prevent and mitigate the consequences of such an incident. And thereby also to ensure a speedy recovery. So if a company was from the attack vector, uh, saying kind of attack successfully, that it can speedily take a business and, for instance, provide it with electricity. And henceforth, operators of critical infrastructures have to really adopt a holistic approach covering um, both the prevention dimension as well as later on the detection and the threat management dimension towards physical threats. Um, to this end, the Act really obliges um, critical infrastructure operators um, to have the necessary personnel, but also the training and all the resources needed um, to to implement the measure, measures that I've just um, spelled out. And lastly, and I think that's also very important because it's really new, um, operators of critical infrastructures will be obliged to report any significant incident um, to the Federal Office of Civil Protection and Disaster Assistance here in Germany. So it also gives this institution a new role vis-a-vis um, critical infrastructure operators. Can you give a brief overview on the NIS 2 UMSUG CG and its purpose? Yeah, so the NIS 2 UMSUG CG, or as you might uh, kind of pronounce the English version of, of the abbreviation, or the NIS 2 Umsetzungs- und Cybersicherheitsstärkungsgesetz, as it's termed, uh, 
probably in German, um, is kind of the implementation act to the um, NIS2 direction. So it translates into NIS2 implementation and cybersecurity enhancement act. And it will implement so the NIS2 directive into national law and will kind of update thereby the IT Security Act that had been published and ratified in 2021. Um, the NIS2 Implementation Act, as I will briefly term it, um, serves basically, I would say, two aims. Firstly, it updates um, the competencies of our national cybersecurity agency, the BSI. And secondly, it significantly extends the scope of Germany's cybersecurity regulatory framework, both in terms of, I would say, the requirements that a company has to um, fulfill, um, as well as the scope of Germany's um, national cybersecurity uh, regulations, because the scope of the NRS2 will be way broader than what we are used to here in Germany. So that is, in the nutshell, um, the NRS2 Implementation Act. What is the position of the BDI on the NIS2 directive? Talking about numbers first really helps to understand um, also the rationale behind the um, regulatory approach that both the European and the national um, regulators are taking. So last year alone, cyber attacks, espionage, but also sabotage caused uh, German companies a damage of about 203 billion euros, according to estimates made by our member association, Bitcom. The same study finds that um, almost every company last year was attacked by cyber criminals. So cybercrime is really a huge issue. And understandably, um, since kind of as I elaborated earlier on, the well-functioning of our critical infrastructures is connected to the functioning of our society as a whole, um, their protection with um, these threat actors um, is paramount from the regulator's point of view, but also obviously from industry's point of view, and also from the perspective of the businesses um, that are the target, the daily target, by the way, of um, of cyber So henceforth, um, the NIS2 directive um, aspires to increase um, the readiness um, of companies um, to respond and react upon cyber threats. Um, German industry, therefore, welcomes the NOS2 directive in principle, as well as now the um, swift implementation of the European requirements into national law. However, and I want to stress this point um, and underline it, we remain critical of some requirements um, that the um, NRS2 directive introduces, especially its very bureaucratic nature. And we are very, very critical of the reluctance of the administration at the um, national and local and also regional level um, to impose the NIS2 requirements on itself. So it's always directed towards um, industry and businesses, but not towards the state, even though um, public administration is crucial, as I outlined beforehand, to the well-functioning of our um, society as well. Um, the cybersecurity requirements um, introduced by the NIS2 directive will um, basically 
increase, alleviate this hyper security level of the innovation as we term it here at BDI. So the innovation and industry location and uh, Germany vis-a-vis -vis these threat actors. From our perspective, um, the the NIS2 directive and also its National Implementation Act are well intended, but to shave and to materialize um, these intentions, a couple of factors have to be kind of implemented and assured. So to name just maybe five, um, first of all, uh, companies must be able to fulfill their reporting and registration obligations fully digitally. So it's really will not be working if kind of companies were to file their um, reports of an incident in an analogous way or even if it was just via email that's not digital enough we're really talking about an online form that companies can fill in and then um, kind of click on send and everything is done a second aspect is reporting cybersecurity incidents, which is a crucial and key dimension really of the NIS2 directive, will only help and benefit our country as a whole um, if something happens from these reports. So what we really would like to see happening is that um, the BSI was to publish on a daily basis an updated cybersecurity situation picture, um, which really helps companies to adapt the measures that are currently taking um, to strengthen um, their cyber resilience. Thirdly, um, the competencies between federal and state authorities must be regulated in so far and in such a way um, that there are no overlaps, but also no gaps. And that kind of really uh, competencies are really clearly assigned and everyone knows what to do and every company also knows whom to call. So if I want to report a cyber incident or if I've got a question, I have to know whom best to call. Is it the police? Is it BSI? Is it someone else? Um, this must be clear. Fourthly, um, companies operating throughout Europe, and I think that's really one of the strengths of German industry that we're also very much kind of in other countries active, um, these companies have to be able to fulfill their verification, their registration, but also their reporting obligations um, in one member state for the entire EU. And also, if I were to file a report in Spain, the system should be basically the same as in Germany. So this would also really help companies to implement the directive. And last but not least, um, this dimension of uniform implementation of the NIS2 directive, I think, should be kind of now the aspect that all regulators across Europe, because it's a directive, is kind of guaranteed. So that out of minimum harmonization at European level kind of comes out in the end a, a real Europe-wide set of um, responsibilities, but also processes that are similar, um, that are as uniform as possible, basically, and that companies make it that make it as easy as possible for companies um, to implement the legal requirements that were set. Could you elaborate on the positive and negative aspects of the NIS2 draft law? I think we clearly have a couple of messages in terms of positive and negative aspects. Um, 
I want to state one positive aspect because that's really the main point. And then there are, I think, three more operational negative points. So if we talk about the uh, positive um, dimension is that we're talking about a European approach. This is really, really crucial. German industry was very, very, very critical um, when the German government, the Ministry of the Interior, um, issued its proposal for its IT Security Act 2.0, because this was kind of a national solo move, um, not kind of aligned with what other European countries did. It introduced new um, categories of companies falling within the scope of the uh, national IT security regulation. These companies were called companies of special public interest. Um, since many German companies are, as I just elaborated, active throughout Europe or even globally, um, we were very, very vocal against this national solar run, um, particularly because the European Commission simultaneously um, had published the draft NIS2 directive. So basically both the national solo run as well as the um, aspiration of the European Commission for more harmonization across Europe happened at the same time and nonetheless the national regulator went forward. So it's now a really positive dimension I would stress that we do have the NRS2 directive in conjunction also um, with the Cyber Resilience Act which is at the moment under um, negotiation at the European level so both uh, companies as well as products will be regulated regulated in terms of enhancing their cyber resilience. If we now think of uh, negative aspects that come to my mind when um, analyzing um, the NRS2 uh, implementation law or act, um, three points uh, are there that I would really like to emphasize. First, the far-reaching scope. Second, the excessive bureaucracy. And Third, that the NIS2 Implementation Act does not provide for um, security checks of employees working in security sensitive areas. So aspect number one, far-reaching scope. Um, the NIS2 directive already at the European level extends the scope of Europe's cybersecurity regulation really massively um, because now Many medium-sized companies will fall within the scope of cyber regulation and not only from critical infrastructures as it used to be the case with the NIS, I term it now one directive, but it will also entail uh, and include many um, medium-sized enterprises from the production um, sector, manufacturing sector of um, industry. This means in the end that companies with an annual turnover of 10 million euros or 50 employees have to fulfill their cybersecurity requirements. And just to give you a bit of numbers, facts or figures, um, this will mean that in Germany alone, um, more than 29,000 additional companies will have to implement regulatory requirements emanating from cybersecurity regulation. And um, this comes at a time when we have a cybersecurity expert or skills shortage uh, amounting to more or less 104,000 um, IT security experts in Germany alone. So it will be really, really hard for many companies to hire um, respective personnel and then thereby to implement the um, requirements from the NIS2 directive. And really 
closely connected to this point is that the German Implementation Act even broadens a bit the scope in comparison to what already at the European level um, is a very much broader scope than we used to have it um, because while at the European level we have got really uh, it pinned down to um, subsectors um, and now here at the national level um, the sectors are even broader so it's not manufacturing um, of cars or vehicles um, that is um, the sector mentioned but it's termed production. So this could um, go way beyond what is envisaged at the European level. Second aspect I wanted to stress is the excessive bureaucracy um, that already the European um, legislature introduced and that obviously has to be implemented now at the national level as well. Um, the European legislators require companies to um, report a, a significant incident and um, this not only with one report that has to be filed by a company, but by up to five reports. It's a minimum of three, but it can be up to five, depending on the requirements set by BSI here in Germany. And henceforth, companies have to inform the authorities firstly within the first 24 hours, secondly within 27 hours, and then there come up to three more um, reports. And obviously as a company, if, especially if you're only medium size, you will probably lack the resources of personnel to do these cumbersome reports. So for us, it's, it's really crucial that companies can dedicate in such a situation of crisis um, their resources into the incident handling because we want to have them up and running again, producing um, state-of-the-art technology or providing us with um, vital um, critical infrastructure services rather than filing reports that maybe no one is even reading. And then the last aspect, um, this is a point that we already mentioned and uh, voiced during the negotiations of the IT Security Act 2.0 is a topic of security checks of employees working in security sensitive areas. So the law that we have now on the table um, focuses very much on both technical as well as organizational um, aspects, but it completely avoids the dimension of people actually implementing and, and the requirements. And except for the management, uh, the human dimension henceforth um, is completely omitted. Therefore, we urge um, the federal government to introduce security checks um, for employees that are working in um, security or critical positions in a company, for instance, in um, the department responsible for IT security, to have a background check and see whether there are any hints that this person could actually work against um, its main duty as an employee, namely against the idea of strengthening the cyber resilience of a company. And to find out this point, I think, would be really helpful kind of to match both organizational as well as technical within the end, um, the human dimension of cybersecurity. In your publication, you mentioned that the use of cybersecurity certification schemes would inhibit the digital transformation of the German industry. Can you explain this in more detail? In principle, we would argue that the standardization of cybersecurity requirements can be very, very helpful for companies since standards provide companies with a useful framework of what constitutes the state of art of a technology. 
Um, however, we're not that happy with how the EU Cybersecurity Act is now implemented. Um, so the EU Cybersecurity Act has been um, agreed on at the European level way back in um, 2019, and its intention is um, on the one hand, to set up ENISA, so the European Cybersecurity Agency, and on the other hand, um, to develop uh, cybersecurity certification schemes, so the technical requirements that a product has to fulfill to be um, regarded as cyber resilient. Many user companies in German industry now continue to be very critical that the legislator is um, turning the voluntary application of these schemes into a compulsory um, implementation because German industry is very, very strong in the uh, usage and also the participation in international standardization bodies. And so we regard kind of this additional dimension of standardization work happening only for Europe um, that by an user as not the ideal way of um, going ahead. Um, so there are, I think, three basic reasons. Um, first of all, the schemes were meant to be voluntary in nature, as I just stated, and now they are put into a mandatory implementation. So this runs basically against the basic idea of the Cybersecurity Act. The second aspect is um, that despite Having agreed on the Cybersecurity Act way back in 2019, and we are now talking in August uh, 2023, it has not been published one cybersecurity scheme. So companies still have no experience whatsoever um, in terms of um, how to implement them, how um, detailed these are, if they actually fall within the scope of um, these um, requirements, um, how so market surveillance authorities will utilize these schemes, and so on and so forth. And so um, the three basic um, assurance levels, basic substantial and high may remain also very arbitrary concepts and no one really knows what what this will mean to them in their daily business of ensuring the cyber resilience of their company. And then this is, I think, an aspect that also we as BDI have been very vocal um, vis-a-vis ENISA. Um, so the European Cybersecurity Agency is that um, the process of drafting these schemes, unlike the one happening in international standardization bodies, is here at ENISA very, very cumbersome. And it lacks transparency and the possibility for companies to participate and um, also the uh, possibility, for instance, to comment on early versions of such a scheme. So here we urged Anisa to be more transparent. Unfortunately, they haven't changed anything. I think this really is related to the question of why we are very hesitant when it comes to the um, mandatory utilization of cybersecurity certification schemes. Are there any other recommendations that are needed to ensure the necessary cyber security level? And is there anything else you would like to highlight? So for us at BDI, there are two more aspects that I would like to stress. Um, on the one hand, 
cooperation and on the other hand, I think public administration. So let me start with cooperation. Cooperation is crucial. Um, cooperation has to happen among government agencies. It has to happen between the different levels um, of our federal structure and it has to happen between industry and administration. So as stated early on, if we as industry have to report cybersecurity incidents, there has to be kind of a feedback loop informing us uh, about the current cybersecurity threat landscape. That would be very beneficial, and hence we would see an added value emanating from the um, reports. And if I say among government agencies, I mean, for instance, a really improved cooperation um, between the BSI, so the Cybersecurity Agency, and the BBK, so the agency responsible for civilian protection and disaster management. But also, there needs to be uh, a good cooperation among uh, between the different levels of our federal structure so that there are no information silos or blurred lines of competencies, as I stressed. And then the, the last aspect um, is the topic of our public administration. So if you were to ask me, is the public administration sufficiently covered? I would say it's basically not covered at all by the NIS2 directive. And this is really a pity because the NIS2 um, directive really obliges companies to do a lot in terms of enhancing their cyber resilience and the federal level um, of public administration is covered as well, but not the um, regional or even the local level of government. And if we kind of look back um, to the last two to three years, we see a lot of cybersecurity incidents that had taken place in Anhalt-Bitterfeld, for instance, in Schwerin, in Potsdam. Um, numerous uh, cities and districts have fallen um, victim to far-reaching cybersecurity incidents, and um, ransomware proliferated in the systems of um, these um, local and regional authorities, and some of them were not able to function properly. Um, for month, and you might now say, oh, I've never heard of Anhalt-Bitterfeld, um, but this is actually a district in which 160,000 people live. And if you were one of these 160,000 people and wouldn't have had access to vital public services, um, then I think you wouldn't have liked that that much. So I think it's really also in our overall interest, also from um, the perspective of strengthening our democracy and kind of the trust in government, that also um, the local and the regional level to which companies have a constant exchange or with which uh, companies have a constant exchange of information, um, for instance, when building new sites, when building um, new um, facilities and so on and so forth. So here it's in our all, you know, really in everyone's interest that they are cyber resilient as well. And so if we as industry are covered by the NIS2 Directives Implementation Act, it's not only a question of fairness, but it's a question of necessity that the public administration is falling within the scope as well and has to fulfill these exact same requirements so that their services are up and running as well during times of crisis, but also in normal periods of time. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news 
and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evi Curie. I'm your technology reporter, Alina Klasen, and thank you for listening.